Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, and console gaming related. Today is Tuesday, May 11, 2021, which I cannot believe, or it's already May. I hope all of you continue to be safe and well. We've got lots of interesting consumer tech topics to talk about today. So without any further ado, let me bring up uh, three journalists, many of whom you know, and who I like to now call if I can bring your, your, your smiling faces up on the screen. There you go. Uh, these I, I, I'm calling you guys now the, the tech troubadours. Of the, the, you know, I, had to come I know. I mean, just old white men isn't more appropriate? No, no, let's stay away from that. I want to come up with something cute and, you know, topical related to your backgrounds. I want to introduce everyone to uh, Rob Pegarero, who writes for USA Today and Yahoo Tech. Uh, John Quain, who is a frequent contributor to the New York Times and Digital Trends, and uh, the irrepressible Stuart Walpin. You like that word? Uh, that really does. Well, at this point, just way too red, Stuart Walpin. <laughs> <laughs> now, by the way, ignore the redness. He, he, this is a man who, you know, obviously was not going for a tan. Then as for uh, uh, Stuart opines for Twice and Laptop uh, Magazine, and. Uh, and believe it or not, he is going to the Mets game this afternoon. So we're going to have to keep this podcast. Um, <laughs> God forbid you're late for the uh, for the next. We all have our priorities. You do. We absolutely do. So how how are you guys doing? Real quick, what's the uh, what's the latest with you guys? Good. I'm just uh, worried about gasoline. Obviously, I'm in the Northeast. <laughs> I, I have a feeling, a feeling we're going to talk about that. In about yeah, I think so. <laughs> Big news around the D.C. area is the cicadas are coming. The the 17-year emergence of Brood 10. Uh, I, I've not actually seen any live ones, but I've seen a lot of exoskeletons because the first thing these th guys, guys and girls do after emerging from the ground, after 17 years of being buried alive, is to start to grow, shed their skin, and then they leave the exoskeletons stuck on a plant somewhere. Pretty fascinating and gross. Our kid is uh, intrigued. I have seen more close-up photos of those uh, pesky little critters online, and they are disgusting looking. I must say that. <laughs> yeah, they're a little freaky. They are yeah, a little freaky. And Stuart, beyond uh, going to the Mets game, which you know you're you're a dedicated and diehard Mets fan, we all know that. Um, uh, what else is new in your life? Well, uh, uh, things are beginning to open up, thank God. I'm going to start playing poker again this week. Uh, Broadway's announced that they're going to reopen, so uh, I'll look for tickets that I can't afford to get back out to the theater. And uh, so signs of life are emerging just like the cicadas. <laughs> well, I'm actually very excited, as I think all of you know. I'm a fairly significant Broadway aficionado, and um, I, my, one of my shows I really wanted to see last year, but they canceled it, but they're going to do it. They're going to. Um, rescheduled for later in the year in September. It's a music man with uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I am not too many people know that Hugh Jackman uh, is a, a song and dance guy too. Not just it was the first musical that he did in high school, if memory serves, of the stories that he tells. So he has a special affinity for that particular musical. Yes. And in fact, and then we're going to get back to the tech topics. This was not my Broadway <laughs> podcast. Um, there is a terrific production uh, of um, Hugh Jackman. This is be way before he became a movie star in the late 90s where he played Curly in Oklahoma. Um, mm -hmm. And they, there's a tremendous video production. You can, I'm sure you can, you can watch it online. And he has a very nice singing voice. You know, Oklahoma is not an easy show to do. Well, but you've seen The Greatest Showman. 
Yeah. Oh, that is true. I take that back. But he did that just a few years ago. He didn't do that. Twenty. No, but it shows that he's a very good musical performer. Yes. And the kid from Oz as well. Yes, and, and I've heard on great authority that Rob, didn't you play Tevia and Fiddle, Fiddler on the Roof in high school? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, no, uh, I did not. I, uh, that would yeah, be my, my musical singing voice. Oh, that's, uh, that, that actually makes me laugh. Um, okay, so let me um, let me bring this up here. Right. Uh, so anyway, without any further ado, here let's get to the uh, the, the big topics of the week here, and um, no surprise. Um, Apple versus Epic. Um, boy, that has kind of a ring to it. Apple versus Epic. I mean, to me, what's interesting about this, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this, is that it's always fascinating to me, and I know it's fascinating to the three of you, when there's these big court trials and, they, and the email, the discovery of emails come out, and you really get an inter, interview, even regardless of what the, what the, the trial is about, you get an interview, uh, uh, inner look at the... Um, the uh, the machinations and and just a few points of e executives, some some of which sometimes not very pretty when it gets right. exposed to a public light. And uh, the one thing that was interesting to me about um, this, and and I don't know what you guys will um, agree with this, but I think you will, is that it kind of demonstrates Apple. That some of the emails that have been fleshed out really demonstrate Apple's hardcore desire to keep the Apple Wall Garden as a wall garden. For example, there's this, there's an interesting email exchange about um, there was some willingness apparently or some desire within Apple, well, maybe we should open up iMessage to Android and to Windows and really make it the, their messaging platform a multi-platform uh, um, uh, capability. And uh, that got shut down. I mean, the, 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 I think the viewpoint was, hey, you know what, this is a, this is a, um, a lever, a way we keep people in the walled garden. And uh, so, you know, Apple's not, and they don't do this for, for uh, they don't just do it for casual reasons. They really want to keep people in the uh, in the Apple ecosystem, and obviously keeping iMessage solely as a uh, iOS and you know iPad OS platform. They're doing that very deliberately. But I thought that was interesting. But let me start with you, Stuart. Any thoughts from your perspective on these uh, on this well, epic file? That's going well, on? as a longtime Apple user. I mean, most Apple users, people who are Apple fans, um, Apple boys. I mean, there's some name for that. Anyway. Fanboys, uh, fanboys. Uh, fan um, is the the walled garden is the reason you come on board, other than perhaps the cohesiveness of the ecosystem. But the fact that you could rely upon Apple for privacy and um, the walled garden keeps you know you know when you download an application that. It has been at least as thoroughly vetted as an application can be. So you feel there's a certain safety that you feel when you're using Apple. But on the other hand, of course, in, uh, these things can go to a company's head and they could safeguard the system well beyond the reins of simply of simple privacy, privacy, um, and and try to keep people out and use it for you know much more profit intensive. I mean, the IU is suing them for onerous, um, you know, the 30% rate and in-app purchases. And I'm not sure how necessary that is to privacy as much as it is just to, you know, fill the coffers. So, you know, all of these tech companies, they always creep up to the edge where they're going to be regulated. And sometimes they go over to the point where the governments, governments will step in and do something about it. Um, this tech industry has never been good at self-regulation where these things are concerned. So, 
I, I, all of these companies, Apple included, just need to do a better job of acting reasonably before inviting the government to come in to potentially act unreasonably. Rob, what is your, your – I want your epic comments. Your epic comments <laughs> I don't know if it will be epic, <laughs> but it's funny that Apple is, is going back to this, you know, we are the last line of defense. It is, it is only us who, who stand between you and your iPhone getting hacked, taken over by malware, scams, and whatnot. When even before the epic trial started, we were learning lots of unpleasant facts about how bad of a job Apple was doing at keeping scam apps and fake comments out of the app store. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it appears that to a large degree, Apple, you know, pretty much anyone running a giant marketplace open to a large number of people, Apple, Amazon, whatever, Google's Play Store, bad stuff gets in. And just the fact that something is listed in the App Store is not actually a guarantee that it is going to be that much better than some random download you would get on the open Internet. And so Apple it would be mistaken for them to take that line too far. And of course, just today, randomly out of nowhere, they have a press release in their site talking about how many bad developers they've kicked off the, the platform, <laughs> how many, you know, uh, apps they've booted outright, uh, how they're working to, to spot fake comments. Just no reason. It's May 11th. Why not put that out there? <laughs> Rob, Rob, Rob I, I do think you're being very cynical with the time. That <laughs> I know. It's so out of character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, Apple is doing what it has to in this case, which is to say that Epic is not uh, an honest broker here. They're very self-serving. And it's true. I mean, Epic decided we're just going to put in our own payment system in our app, knowing that Apple would kick them out right. and they're milking it for all it's worth. But the things you have to do to win an argument in court are not necessarily going to win your argument in the court of public opinion given that we already have a lot of suspicion over the influence of very large tech companies, which is, has gotten Tim Cook his moments in congressional hearings to answer stupid questions. And I, I don't think this trial is doing them any favor. And, you know, the basic point that a 30% tax on an app purchase, worse than that, a subscription open in an app is not exactly fair. It is not covering Apple's costs of running the store. Uh, Apple developers hate it. The, the phrase one of them used to me a year or so ago was, it's an existence tax. Apple wants 30% of whatever money you make, and one way or another, they'll get it to the point where they push apps to add in-app purchases. If you remember WordPress, a blogging platform, uh, Apple wanted them to add an in-app purchase option, even though that there, there's that's completely unprecedented. It is not close to what the original concept of you must pay for in-app content Paying for WordPress premium is is not that at all. Uh, and with Apple, I have to ask why? This is a fabulously profitable company. Their profit margins are, are Facebook-esque, actually, in the 40%. So why are they acting as if they've got to get every last dime, every last penny out of this App Store money printing press? Well, I mean, my, my reply to that would be is that um, maybe this is the, the cynical business part of me because I have worked for some big companies is that when you get into a situation where from a business standpoint, the margins are really good. And by the way, the margins in the Apple store are very, very good. <laughs> and, and very often when revenue slows down, Wall Street looks at margin uh, performance, even even at a more important level than revenue growth. Not, now, that's not they've, you know, their revenue has been on a tear 
lately. But I, my guess would be is that they have a good thing. They want to milk it as much as they possibly can. Uh, they, and in fact, and I, Stuart's nodding his head, but uh, just recently, about I want to say a few months ago, they did provide some relief on the um, on that Apple tax, the cut that they take for very small developers. You know, you have to hit a certain threshold. They, they're a million bucks, a million, million dollars, right? Yes. Million dollars, right. You know, so they did, they did do the the Marie Antoinette. You know, let them eat cake. I guess. Uh, <laughs> but um, John, what what are your what's your two uh, two uh, two cents? So well, I do I do some work for some antitrust people, and uh, I mean, this is prima facie just the most obvious antitrust. I mean, there's no way that Apple can win this battle. It just doesn't just by any definition of it, it's anti-competitive, it's not pro-consumer, I mean, so many different things. Um, if you have an attorney who's in the antitrust world, they'll tell you, you know, don't put words like dominant in your emails, things like that. I mean, they, they, they actually tell you not to do that because if you don't wanna lose these cases, um, there's pretty much no excuse that Apple has here. I mean, uh, so except that, yeah, they'd like to control every aspect of it. Well, that's classic antitrust case. So, you know, it's hard to see how they're going to win this. Um, and I, I don't know what it's what's curious about is what is the remedy to be? Um, that's what I'm curious about. Do you find them? Well, that's really not enough. Um, do you allow, you know, do they have to put up another store? Um, states like Arizona and some other states have tried to put up legislation that's and they right. got right up to signing the legislation. And then it mysteriously disappeared. And there was so much money and underhanded stuff going on in Arizona and some of these states. It, you know, Apple's really doing everything it can here because uh, it, I don't really see how they have any defense. But, you know, unless Epic really messes this up, uh, I, I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, real quick, because uh, I want to move on to the next topic. If, if the three of you had to handicap this, <laughs> and I, well, we already know how John feels. <laughs> Stuart and Rob, how do you feel that the uh, it's going to go? Just based on what the testimony and the, uh, the the information you've read thus far, if you had to make a guess, do you think uh, Apple is in a bit of uh, hot water? I would say well, yeah. I mean, the whole relevant market definition—you can't just say, "Well, you know, if customers don't like this, they'll buy an Android phone." Yeah, that's yeah, not really. <laughs> uh, no, forget the European Commission has brought another case and they've already had preliminary finding of fact that yes, Apple views its power against Spotify, compelling them to either add an in app permission system or do nothing. And so now you have the Spotify app saying, We know you can't add a premium subscription in the app, we know this is not ideal. Which the whole notion that not only must you use Apple's payment system, you cannot tell people about where to pay elsewhere. That, that you must comply with the rules, but you can't explain the rules to your own users is Kafka-esque. Yeah. Kafka-esque. I, I didn't think I, that word would show up today in, on today's podcast, but thank you for that. <laughs> just as long as it's not Orwellian. <laughs> you just brought that, that, that magic Gregor word. Gregor Samza woke up to find himself transformed into a monstrous cicada. <laughs> Man, this, story is, this story is too good. But, but Stuart, you, do you agree? Do you think? Uh... Yeah, I, 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 I wholeheartedly. But I think there's also a, 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 a third option other than win or lose, and that's settle. I mean, this is a civil case, and you often find in civil cases that when one side sees that it's not going to do very well, that they try to wiggle their way out of it. 
And so I think for Apple, this is much more of a PR problem than it is a dollar problem. For them to to give up $1.3 billion or whatever, you know, the penalties might be on this, you know, they'll they'll flip out their, their you know, their rolling cash and roll off a couple of bills and that'll be fine. They should give so up the, the, uh, the Amazon I, exception. What's that? Amazon doesn't have to use Apple's payment system. <laughs> and I think the Prime Video app, well, my, my point being is that I think that Apple's bigger problem is the PR side. And if they see that they're going to lose the PR war on this, then I think that they're going to huddle down in a room and figure something out and claim victory. I mean, that that that's how big corporations work. When they see they're losing, they try to fix it. And then even if they lose, they claim that they've won for everybody, for our benefit. Well, let's move on to the next topic because I guarantee you, after the trial's over in a couple of weeks, and we and we and we see what the verdict looks like if it does go to a, you know, go to a a a, a verdict, um, it'll be interesting to see if the three of you guys were are, are right. So, um, you can see I, I'm, what I admire about the three of you, the troubadours, you are very consistent in your uh, in your viewpoints. So, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Okay, next heat up here: foldable smartphones. Now, we haven't talked about that in a while. Stuart, you want to chat about that. So uh, let's, uh, let me uh, you know, kick this over to you. Well, I mean, the, the history of smart form for, uh, smartphone form factors, and try saying that three times fast, is, is always been a volatile one. I mean, you first had the brick phones, and then you had the bar phones, and then in 1996, you had the StarTac, and then, and what ends up happening is that once one radical form factor hits the market, everybody quickly flies into the market. So right now, I think, you know, and the same thing happened with smartphones and, you know, and I think where we are right now is sort of where we were in 2009, essentially, with smartphones. Smartphones had just come out and people were still kind of, well, is this really worth the extra money and all this, which is exactly the same conversation we're having with foldable phones. Do people really want this? Well, every single smartphone handset maker in Korea, in Japan, in China and Apple have all sort of been either looking at it or or introduced something or models have been leaked. They're a Samsung and LG and a number of Chinese um, display vendors are already in contract with almost every major handset maker. So I have a feeling in about a year from now, this is going to be not an if, but a when conversation like we were, like I said, 10 years ago where the smartphone market was. I think they... It's, and a lot of people are, are talking about, oh, well, consumers really want this, which is an argument I've never understood where technology is concerned, because as we've seen in technologies, when somebody puts out something new, people always say, I didn't want that until they start buying it by the millions, and you will feel completely left out if you don't own one of these crazy things. So I think it's simply a matter of time, and if Apple ends up coming out with a foldable model like in, in the fall of 2022, I think everybody knows what happens then. Yeah. And I, well, yeah, sir. And before we flip over to Bob, uh, to Rob and to John on this, I mean, my two cents is that, first of all, Apple, if you were to break into the spaceship over here in, uh, in Sunnyvale, Cupertino, it's on the border of Cupertino and Sunnyvale, there are, in the bowels of Apple, there are hundreds of prototypes. Believe me, they're looking at this. There's been some activity where even Apple has, has submitted some patents on so there's clearly interest in it. And it's hard for me to um, argue the usage model interest because the smartphone, 
essentially since 2007, when Apple debuted the first um, iPhone, it's been the candy bar form factor for, for, you know, for a long period of time, you know, uh, not my, do my math, 14 years. That's a long time. And when you think about the fact that even if the only usage model advantage is I can fold the phone in half and stick it in my pocket, uh, to, to that allows me to get to a bigger display when it when it when it's when it's opened up and it's very and, and it's tinier it's smaller when I when it's in a, a foldable and it's in a folded uh, orientation that by itself is a big deal I mean the, the, I think the issue that Apple's probably uh, wrestling with right now is durability if you recall Samsung had some durability issue with some of the first models they announced uh, last year Motorola too Motorola had the same problem so mm -hmm. once they get past that. You know, and Apple will do a really good job. That's what Apple does. I mean, they will not go to the market until they know they they're very confident about the robustness of the form factor. I think that it, it'll be a no brainer. I mean, Rob, John, what do you think? Come back to no one who doesn't work in technology has. I can remember ever asking me, when am I going to be able to buy a foldable phone? Mm -hmm. I think about that. I think about the fact that the very act of using the phone, if it's the design where the screens in the inside, you can't just open it up and unlock it with your fingerprint or your, your face. You have to unfold it and then start using it, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I'm old enough to remember flip phones and that was not ideal. Uh, the fact that they cost so much, you know, this is not like, I mean, I still think 4K TVs are kind of ridiculous. Most people don't need that resolution, but it became a free feature and putting 4K in the set doesn't make it more difficult to use than a mere HD set. So... I'm a little bit of a skeptic here and right. yeah, given that we already have enough problems, people break their phones <laughs> all the time right now and you don't have a fancy hinge in the middle of it. Right. So put me down as a skeptic here. I'll, I'll go even further. I'm in the, that iCarly episode where the, the kid was walking around with like a big tablet on the side of his head. You know, people were making fun of these fat phones. There is a limit, you know, and remember there yeah, there were phones that were that big, right? They don't exist anymore. They're gone. They're history. I, I don't see, you know, all the flip phone, all the flip phones. See, there we go. The foldable phones I've tried, as Rob just pointed out, they're not very easy to use. They're not convenient. Um, they're thick. They're heavy. I think, you know, we're trying to get away from having this bulky thing. Most people walk around with their earbuds and just use those and they're, and they're talking on the phone. They don't want to have more equipment they've got to carry so and i don't think it gets you anything in terms of video in terms of watching a slightly bigger screen it's not big enough to make it a different experience um so i am I'm, I'm a big skeptic on it i have to say i mean they're desperately looking for something to replace the model that you would you know mark have said it's 14 years or whatever but the foldable phone isn't it mm-hmm well, um, if I may pose a counterpoint of view in the vein of Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> these are these. It's too expensive. It's too bulky. These are the exact same arguments that nearly every single new technology has faced in in a century. Those are always the arguments. And what I think what everybody. My, my friends, all due respect, miss is that technology finds a way to make these problems disappear. I can reach up and pick, pick up the very first iPhone. I have it on my shelf up here. It is, it, at the time, twice the size of the StarTac. 
it didn't, the screen was not as responsive as everybody thought it was. Everybody found it enormously confusing to use because there were no buttons on it. These are not conversations that anybody is having anymore. The screens are becoming thinner. The form factors will figure out. I was just thinking today that one of the problems that Apple will have to overcome is the one-handed usage uh, option, which means putting a screen on the outside, which some of these foldable phone makers have already started either with e-ink or with an actual, you know, full OLED display on the outside. They will start out being expensive, but you realize that the smart, the iPhones you buy now are, with inflation, far more expensive than they were than the very first iPhone. And yet it is still represents 40% and, and uh, thousand seven hundred to twelve hundred dollar phones is still a third of the smartphone market so the expense argument the the form factor market the confusing technology mark i think all of these consumers never know what they want until you show it to them apple has made their entire business model based on that concept that the consumer doesn't know what they want until you give it to them and so, and, and that has been a success story for almost all new technologies, you know, going all the way back to television and even silent films. What do we need talking pictures for? You know, so I don't accept the consumers don't, aren't asking for it argument because that has never held true in, in all disruptive technologies um, in, for the last century. I can smell the hot dogs at City Field, so I want to make sure that yeah. <laughs> get to the next two topics. But I have to say that I think uh, Stuart makes his typical, you know, colorful uh, point. I think in a very compelling way, in that Apple will not come out with this until they can get to it a in a robust factor, a, 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 a robust manner, I should say. And and I do not believe they're going to do the Samsung Samsung deal, which is we want to charge a humongous premium. I mean, in, in fact, I don't think they'll replace. Uh, at, at the get-go, their current non-foldable phones. But I do think that the, um, the the premium will not be very heavy, if at all, frankly. They might be just a choice. And, yes, there are usage models, uh, usage behaviors that have to be solved. Guess what? Apple is the best at, 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 at doing that, you know, making sure the usage model uh, issues are corrected. So if I had to be a, 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 a handicapper type of person in technology, which I typically am, I'd say I'd say that Apple is going to get there. They're going to do it in a very profound way. When they do it, I don't know. I mean, I doubt. Even next year, to me, might be a, a bit suspect. But might be a bit aggressive. Twenty twenty three. But with that, let me get to the next topic here. This is going to be a fun one. Two thousand twenty one, the year of ransomware, and what's really scary is only it's only May. So, John, let me tee this up to you because I think you just wrote something about this recently. Right. So you have a lot to say about this topic. Right. It, it, I mean, it's it's been a growing problem, um, you know, uh, over the past couple of years. And, and just to, to explain to people, too, ransomware encompasses just about every kind of hacking technique you can think of. It's just that the punchline to this is that then you basically, you know, hold data or computers or systems uh, for ransom and uh, de declare that you want such and such Bitcoin deposited in some anonymous account in order to either unlock the data, unlock their systems, give their data back to them in some cases. So it's a, it encompasses a wide variety of scenarios, but basically it shuts your, your business down. Um, a lot of police departments were hit a few years ago. A lot of hospitals and healthcare systems. 
were hit um, in the UK. It shut down um, emergency services for a while. Um, a lot of hospitals in the United States have been knocked offline. Um, I was driving down the Massachusetts Turnpike just a few days ago, and there were signs saying, hey, by the way, you can't get a state inspection. In fact, in the United States, you couldn't get your car state inspected for in eight different states, all because of a ransomware attack. And that persisted for a month in eight different states. So this is a really serious problem. Now they have done what everybody said would be the ultimate dangerous thing to do, and they have shut down a major utility, right? They've shut down a, a gasoline pipeline, jet fuel pipeline. So I don't, you know, nuclear explosion is the, the next step, but they've gone as far as they can go. Um, you know, whether companies will do anything about it, the government can only do so much, but this is down to business doing something about it. And so far they haven't been very responsive. Well, and, and I want to flip this over to Rob, and because of your proximity in uh, in Washington, and this is a, a bit of an abstract question, but do you believe that um, there has to be plans at the military level for us to, to to use our considerable cyber resources to, you know, preemptively? We and I, I th I'm, and I believe we've done it. We, it may not be as public as as uh, as uh, we might like to think it should be, but what wh what's your viewpoint on the readiness? Um, of um, the military to be able to reply to, uh, to, to attacks like this. Because when you think about it, the pipeline, that's right now ca causing inconvenience. There's now gasoline lines in some places. But in the scheme of things, it's not like shutting down the electricity grid in the middle of the winter when people could die. I mean, it's bad enough now. This is I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss the problem that's going on right now. But do you have a view on our just our, our capability in that area to respond to things like this? Respond, yes, but th this is the perfect example of an asymmetric threat where, you know, it's not like there's one installation you can send a B2 over it and wipe it off the, the face of the earth. Right. Uh, this apparently is a uh, a hacking collective based in Russia. What a coincidence. Yes, what a coincidence. Uh, and they've already issued some apologetic statements saying we, we, we just want to make money. We're not trying to disrupt society. And the, the, apparently one of their clients decided, hey, let's stick up this pipeline company. And I should note, this is a, an innovation in the ransomware playbook because it's not just threatening, we'll delete your data because we know you didn't back it up. It's also, we'll delete it and post it on the web. So whatever corporate secrets you had yes. uh, will be exposed. And there was the, the Washington Post reported this morning that I guess one of these caches of this exfiltrated data was on a server held by DigitalOcean, this web hosting company. FBI talked to them, DigitalOcean took it offline. Um, you know, I, I trust people in uh, perhaps Fort Meade, Maryland uh, and other in various three letter agencies are working on ways to get back at these people in the same manner they got back at us. But the bigger problem is this is going to keep happening as long as companies, number one, don't learn from the lessons of others. Number two, don't share their own lessons learned. And one interesting thing that happened, I think last week, uh, a provision of, I guess, uh, the next, some government funding contract, essentially, if you're going to be doing IT work for the government, you are going to have to disclose what goes wrong in an event like this. So you will have an equivalent of the National Transportation Safety Board, which is why all of us are fine with getting an airplane, because you know, if something goes wrong, everyone's going to document it write down exactly what went wrong so it never happens again. And that does not happen in yeah. security. And that's why yeah. these stories keep happening.
Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. So people might remember WannaCry. That yep. was about 14 years ago. Guess what? It's one of the still the major tools to attack systems around the world because that's how dumb these businesses are. They still haven't upgraded or protected against that. And that patch has been out there for 14 years. It's still such a good tool. During the pandemic, WannaCry usage went up of every surge in the coronavirus. It actually went up. So it, it's, it's amazingly frustrating to look at their systems and go, you haven't updated your Apache server for like four years, right. you know, right. stuff like that. It's, I think you're going to find that this is one of those really dumb mistakes. Uh, and uh, they don't want to tell people because it's going to be so stupid. Right. Well, and I, 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 let me just jump in for a second before we uh, get Stuart's views on this is that what scares me is that these industries and companies that get attacked, you tend to find out. And I want to, I, I, I don't, I haven't gotten deep enough into this yet to, to, to um, confirm this, but it is a fact that many companies out there that get attacked, you find out that their preparation and their, their um, security protocols they put in place are incredibly poor. Even before this, it, they just haven't made the investment. They've never been attacked. You know, it's kind of like, well, if, if an earthquake has never hit me, why should I go out and get earthquake insurance? And, you know, we're, we're dealing with people's lives, you know, and not, not to mention the economic consequences of this. So that's the thing that scares me is that many of these industries and, 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 and the companies out there that are getting attacked like this, you find out, you know, after the fact, of course, that the, the, the protection um, protocols they had in place were either non-existent or certain not, not robust enough to, to even offer a uh, minimalist uh, protection. Stuart? Your thoughts? Well, from all of this is has been predictable. I mean, talking what John was talking about, the, the, there have been I don't want to, not chicken littles, but there have been prognosticators for, for for at least a decade or more who have predicted that the attacks on on nation states are going to come on the form of cyber attacks on infrastructure. So none of this is a surprise necessarily. And the fact that these companies, whether they're public or private, have not taken the adequate steps is also not a surprise because quite frankly, the evildoers have always been ahead of the people building the defenses. This has been true both in military terms as well as cyber terms. And eventually the nation nations are going to, I mean, Russia is protecting its hackers. They essentially work for Russia in as autonomously as as they can. But we and and quite frankly, the United States is guilty of some cyber attacks. So eventually, just like there was for chemical warfare, just like there was for nuclear warfare, the nations of the world are going to have to sit down along with whoever is running the internet. I can who has been who has been essentially for almost a decade, been denying all responsibility for what happens on the internet um, content wise, somebody is going to have to sit down and put their heads together and figure out this is a threat to all of us. And we cannot get into a back and forth on this because there will be nothing but rubble if, if this really comes down to it. So I think it's not gonna be immediate, but I think that eventually, nations are going to see that they're better off not using this as a weapon because it's just going to hurt everybody. Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, has been making that exact point very well for several years now. I could almost hear his voice echoing in my head from Web Summit or South by Southwest or whatever. Um, and he's right. 
Well, and you know, occasionally, I can always count on the three of you guys to come up with a really um, optimistic topic to talk about. You know, so I, I blame John for this. Now I'm depressed. And meanwhile, <laughs> Stewart's waiting to go to the ball game. I do want to hit hit this one last topic though, and that is, and this happened early this morning, uh, Zigbee, the Zigbee Alliance, which has been around for you know a long time. You know, uh, they rebranded themselves this morning as the Connectivity Standards Alliance. I don't know if you got three of you had a chance to maybe read the press release or kind of get caught up to speed on it. Um, but, um, you know, I've got, you know, it's, it's funny, but, you know, my view on alliances and alliances in the tech industry have, have are, you know, as old as floppy disks go back because before the, the floppy disks is that the, the challenge with alliances when you, when you, and I listened, I was invited to the, uh, to the kickoff uh, 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 briefing this morning and I was on a briefing about them uh, uh, for analysts yesterday is that they get these major players to show up, the Amazons, the Samsungs of the world, and everybody is talking how wonderful this alliance is going to be. And then, and you know, you get very optimistic. Oh, this is great. You know, it's motherhood and apple pie. And then when they start to meet over time, you know, the, 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 there's infighting that goes on, which is always, you know, troubling. And what happens is, and whatever the, the certification turns out to be, it gets dumbed down to such a degree that it really is not, you know, terribly important anymore. Now, I, I, I'm, you know, hope springs eternal. So, I'm, you know, we'll see how this kind of pans out. But, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit kind of, a, you know, show me in the show me camp. But it is impressive if you look at what, the, what the, they purport to do, you know, along with the, uh, that uh, connected home over IP um, uh, uh, consortium or alliance, which is now going to be called Matter, which is interesting. Does it matter? <laughs> that's a different. That's a, a different story. But well, you know, and, and it looks like John dropped off the podcast. But Stuart, real quick, any your thoughts? I, I, I it's in the age of Amazon Alexa and Apple HomeKit, the thought that a that a standards company, one of many, because they're in constant competition with Z-Wave as well as some other things, are going to somehow simplify and harmonize IoT and pretentiously name themselves as if that they are the keeper of all connectivity standards just struck me not only as funny, but at, at cross purposes. People know people who know what Zigbee is know what Zigbee is. And, and who knows what Zigbee is? Is not going to simplify. I'm sorry, Zigbee, right? It's not going to simplify anything. It will simply. It's another name, and now we have to figure out. Oh, that that CSA is the Confederate States of America. Is is also it was. I just find the whole thing uh, uh, pretentious and to a certain extent laughable. But, but Stuart, let's be honest with each other. I mean, because both you, Rob. Stuart, you know, use it yourself, Stuart, John, when he somehow figures out how the <laughs> connection back on, is that when you get a call from a friend or a relative, hey, I want to do this in my house, and they're not a tech person, do you really get, how often do you get the question, you know, really, should I care about whether this, this supports the Zigbee protocol? Oh, I, mean, I agree with you 100%. Zigbee and Z-Wave are practically unknown to the mainstream consumer. Just unknown. The only time it really crops up is when you want to mix and match, you know, a, a smart lock with a doorbell cam with, the, you know, yeah. you know, and you have to make sure that they're running on those same local area network protocols. And, um, and so that's the only time it ever comes up, which is why I 
you know, that they're on a mission to simplify and harmonize the IOT is I really nobody knows who you are under either name. Well, and part of the problem as an alliance, you know, they're not going to spend a lot of money on demand generation and brand awareness. So if you think the problem was bad with Zigbee, it's not from an awareness standpoint, it's not going to get a lot better with this. So that that's a challenge they have to deal with because they've got to really rely on the partners, the members of the consortium to promote it. And, you know, like I said before, you know, everybody, you know, sings Kumbaya. We, you know, we want to make this thing really great. And then when the details get sorted out, you find out it got diluted to such a fact, to such a degree, it doesn't have the impact that it was purported to have at the beginning. Rob, your thoughts. I think it is significant that you do actually have all the, the, major contenders on board, not just Amazon, not just Google, but Apple, uh, yes. which, you know, is, is not the case with, say, smartphone messaging, so many other areas. And, you know, I don't know if you need to have the, the very highest level of integration, but just sort of basically knowing that if you buy this, it will work with that on at least a baseline level, because customers should not have to think like venture capitalists when they're buying their next connected light bulb yes. or whatever. That said, uh, interoperability is generically terrible. You know, we, we all know the experience of walking people through switching inputs and between like the, the DVR and the Blu-ray player uh, and the TV and the soundbar when they're all from the same company and it still doesn't work the way it should. Right. No, I, I agree with that finally. And I just, I, I cannot wait for the day where you can walk into a store and buy a, a smart light bulb or a smart call it whatever you want to call it, a smart device and not really care, frankly, what's on the that box. That will take work away from all of us, though, so maybe we don't want this to actually happen. <laughs> no, 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 I don't know about you, Rob, but I'm just really tired of explaining it. <laughs> no, so, so, you know, just to wrap this up, I mean, and it looks like, it looks like you might be seeing John at the at the ball game, Stuart, because he has not come back on <laughs> I don't mm. think I will ever see seven at a baseball game. Yeah. But you know, just to, just to really wrap this up, I mean, I you know, I I am impressed with with the aspirational goals they've laid out this morning. I do think that you know, being an old marketing guy, I think the rebranding was probably a smart thing because nobody knows who the hell you know Zigbee is. So I think from that perspective, that makes a little bit of, uh, makes some um, some sense. But again, you know, these alliances again are you know they're kind of like um, public service um, functions in that there's not a lot of money put behind them. To promote what they do, so that's a pro that's a problem. And uh, you know, like I said before, I just think some of the uh, the players will have to really prove. We'll have to see the manifestation of these protocols in terms of do they really purport to to, to uh, provide the capability and functionality that really makes it a seamless experience in the smart home. And God knows it's needed. I just don't know whether you know whether it's really going to matter a year and a half from now. But they gave they they, they talked a good game this morning. So. Um, uh, pretty interesting stuff. So, so with that, um, what we ought to do here, we're already at 40 minutes. I, I don't really want to hold up um, a Stuart from going to the ball game because he wants to get the heck out. But how, what train do you take down there? How do you get to the uh, to a uh, city field? Metro north to Grand Central and then the seven train out to uh, out to City Field. Well, I don't want to hold you up. So let's uh, make. Sure. Yeah, let's. Uh, Get to, uh, and I know I'm looking for John, and I don't know where he is. He's somewhere in Cyberland. But anyway, uh, Stuart, Rob, listen, thank you for your time, uh, for joining me for today's podcast. For the viewing and listening audience, please subscribe to the Smart Tech Check podcast on YouTube and Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next week, have a great weekend.